Welcome back to Geek Life, the indie comics podcast on Pandamanga.com. I'm JP. As always with me and my fearless co-hosts, Marcus. I wonder if Coolio would at least recommend vacationing in a gangster's paradise, if not living there. And Joe. No, no, he wouldn't. <laughs> with us today, we have, from Waterfront Comics and WaterfrontComics.com, John Harder. Hello, everyone. Also from the 4Js podcast, which we have... A bunch saved up, and we're going to start releasing them all all at once. <laughs> I have read Coolio's cookbook. Have you? Is there actually a Coolio cookbook? Yeah. He, oh my god, yeah. that's amazing. What's it called? I don't know the name. It's got to it be. The, it's got to be the top of my head. Yeah. I hope it's cooking with Coolio. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. There's re- what? What else is there? What other title could there possibly be? He was actually really good on like the celebrity cook-off with Guy and Rachel. Thing. Really? Yeah. Oh my god. So that happened first, and then he did the cookbook. I believe so. Yeah. That's beautiful. Love it. That's really funny. Cooking with Coolio. Yeah. Cooking with Coolio. <laughs> oh, I called it. Yes. Five-star meals at one-star prices. <laughs> oh, Coolio. Recipe number one, McDonald's drive through <laughs> Oh, my God. You got to see the cover. Yes. <laughs> you see? Oh, that's awesome. It's Coolio, and he has... <laughs> he's, he's cooking... In his right hand, he's cooking breakfast, and on his left hand... Also on the stove is built in a record. <laughs> That's pretty completely great. Mm-hmm. So he has two front burners and a microphone. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right on, right on. So today we're going to talk about the comic Hunter Black by Justin Penniston, illustrated by William Orr, letters by Jacob Baskell. So you can find Hunter Black at hunterblackcomics.com. You'd like to read along. So John Harder recommended this one to us. So why don't you why don't you lead us in? What is Hunter Black about? Well, I actually found it by Kismet. I was looking up because I'm a big fan of the Richard Stark Parker novels, mm-hmm. which have been done as graphic novels lately by Darwin Cook. He's right, been putting yeah. out one a year. And I was looking to see what the reading order for the novels were. I was reading the Wikipedia page about them, and then one of the like the last lines is there's a webcomic based you know, inspired by, from the Parker novels called Hunter Black. So I clicked oh, the link really? over there to it. It's interesting because first... it, nowhere on the website does it say inspired by that. No. And I mean, it just, like I said, just, just by kismet on, you know, happened to be looking on Wikipedia. Interesting. So oh. I clicked over to there and read of like the first four or five. And I said, wow, oh, that's really does have that feel of the first Parker novel. And I recommended it to you guys. So basically it is a nor fantasy setting. Noir. Noir, yeah. Noir. Mm-hmm. Noir, noir. What, how are we guys? Newer, not older. <laughs> so noir is in like noir films yes. and things like that. It's very black and white. Just ah. like the comic is black and white. Yes. Yes, definitely. And a lot of gray tones. Very much some gray tones. <laughs> and the reds thrown in. That's always one of my favorites when a black and white does something like that. Just yeah, it can be very striking. Throws in the blood. It's striking when you have color on top of a palette of just mostly gray tones. Like mm-hmm. it's a, the color pops mm-hmm. big time, you know. And when it's used sparsely, like it is in this comic, it really, it really emphasizes those scenes very heavily, and it feels kind of like whoa, you know. It's powerful imagery for sure. Yeah, I remember when I was reading the Sin City stuff when it was coming out, when that yellow bastard came out, yeah, and only the yellow guy was was yellow, yellow, yeah, yeah. That's really awesome. Mm. That's a perfect example. So, what's the story of Hunter Black, John? Hunter Black, when we find him, he is a former hitman type of thing, yeah, who now hitman mercenary, mercenary sort of dude, but yeah, hitman. The assassin class, as it were. The assassin class, If yes. you're a D&D player. He's looking for revenge for people who have set him up on a job that mm-hmm. went awry. 
because he's only recently broken out of the highest security prison in the world. And now has a, a sword that must kill people for revenge. Otherwise, he gets sicker and sicker. Right. So what's going on with him, right, is that he was set up on his most recent job and got thrown into the Hell Pyramid, which is like a prison city. You know, think of it kind of like the rock, like nobody escapes hell, the Hell Pyramid. Except for Sean Connery. <laughs> right. And, uh, and so apparently his three years of mining sky steel in the Hell Pyramid left him with the hunger blight, a disease for which even the gods seem to have no cure. But fortunately for him, he has this badass sword, which is apparently one of like five godly swords created for man to use. Five godly artifacts. Artifacts. Yes, yes. It is yes. the only weapon of the five. Oh, is it really? Okay. Really? I didn't know that. They showed a picture at one point of the, I think there was a, looked like a sitar was there and a, a chessboard and a couple of weird items. But it, she said in, in the series that it's the only weapon which makes it the most dangerous. Hmm. And his sword is called the Revenger. And the Revenger's deal is that uh, the sword restores him, at least for a little while. But all it needs is the blood of a betrayer. So somebody betrays somebody, and all of a sudden, the Revenger's like, give me some of that sweet, sweet betrayer blood. Yum, 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 yum. It was kind of cool. I, re I read through about halfway through the second book yeah. of it. And in the second book, he's getting weaker and weaker and more... More, more ill with that, right? Yeah. Until he actually is able to kill someone. So it's sort of like, he, almost like a vampire or something. Yeah, and then it shows the corpse of the person that he's killed is like all the essence of them has been sucked out. So it's just a skeleton laying there. That's awesome. And then he's back to like full health. That's hmm. so cool. <laughs> it's really, it's a really cool idea. I mean, really, it's it, it, it allows for that kind of vampiric hunger kind of thing, except he's forced to only kill people who are bad, really, who have betrayed someone. Because if he doesn't, then he's stuck with their shade following them around, right? Yes, mm -hmm. and that I thought that was pretty awesome when we are introduced to the shade that's following him around and uh, making him do jobs to support his his family. Oh yeah. my god! Okay, I'm just not realizing that a shade is actually a term used for ghosts, like commonly. Because we read another comic that also used uh, black and white and had a splash of red every once in a while. Was it Sailor Moore? Mm. Yeah, and that, they said shades. Yeah, they, they, There were shades in that too. So here's for learning. Shades are <laughs> well, ghosts. So some I thought it was exclusive say, to that comic. You know, in the supernatural media sort of stuff, there's, there's lots of different ways to describe what's left when someone dies. Mm -hmm. And I get the sense that a shade isn't actually the person, but it's like an impression of the person. But okay. then again, who knows? I mean, you could just use shade as the term for ghost. But sort of in like the larger mythology of all that, it seems like that's typically what that is, like an echo. But you hear it used as a very kind of cool word for ghost. Because ghost is kind of like, it's a ghost, but shade sounds cooler, yeah. you know? Ghost makes you think sheets with holes in them. Right, exactly. The yeah. shade is kind of mysterious. Yeah, definitely. So he's followed around by the shade of Sordon Golbrith, who he killed and uh, evidently was not a bad guy. You're like... Basically, it says here, I've got the character page up, and it says, Sordon used to handle Hunter's day-to-day -day business. He was Hunter's friend, if Hunter could have been said to have had any. When Hunter got pinched for a job Sordon set up, Hunter did what Hunter does. But Sordon was innocent, and he no longer lives to make sure Hunter doesn't forget it. Oh, ha, ha, ha. He no longer <laughs> so he's, he's always there. <laughs> so Did basically, he... Sordon is following him around, kind of like, I mean, he's like helping him. He's definitely on his side. Mm -hmm. But whenever any money comes into, into Hunter's possession, he's like, how much are you sending to my family? 
Like even when he's like pillaging a corpse or something, it's like mm. it's not like, oh, I get money from a job and I've agreed to send half of the money I make or whatever. It's like he kills a guy and takes the money from his corpse to make it look like it was a robbery or something to try and cover up what happened. He's like, so, so how much of that money sent to my family? And he's like, fuck. Yeah, <laughs> half of it every time goes to the family. <laughs> and if he doesn't pay it, then he can actually hurt Hunter, like physically yeah. hurt him by by just putting his hand, facing his hand right through him. Oh, yeah. And it causes big time pain to Hunter Black. Did any of you guys actually hear uh, Danny DeVito's voice when you when you read that guy's dialogue? <laughs> I totally did, every time. I will That's tell. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I was hearing Patrick Warburton for uh, Hunter Black. Hunter, yes, yes, totally, totally. Really? I, I he feels like he should have a big, deep voice, you know? Mm. So why don't we break it up as we always do, talk about the story first. So... Marcus, let's start with Marcus. Marcus, what did you think of the story of Hunter Black? Well, I got through uh, book three. Wow. So oh, so wow. when when we were preparing for this podcast, just to give you guys a heads up, we all collectively, because there's a lot of it there, there's a lot of really good story. And this isn't one where you can just kind of jump around because it's a chronological story. So we all agreed to read the whole first book to get a good taste of the comic and also not load ourselves down with so much to read and or so much information that we might give all kinds of spoilers away. Uh-huh. But so, yeah, so we really, we all agreed to read the first book. And so some of us have read more, some of us have read less, but we've all read the first book. So don't spoil it, Martin. <laughs> Anyway, so you were saying. So I was saying, at first, I honestly thought that uh, Hunter Black, the character, was a, was a little cliche. He was, you know, very like, oh, it's your, it's your badass protagonist character. Like, it was just... It's your angry revenge guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And thankfully, the story is written so well, that, and he has such purpose to him that he's not just like an empty character thrown in there for nothing. No, um, not at all. He has really good motive, and he has uh, a cast of characters around him that, you know, uh, really mold the story into something that... I wasn't bored with it at all. Like, that's why I got through book three in one night. I just, I kept going. Oh, sure. It's easy to go. I yeah. mean, burn. It's just, it's fast. It's a fast read, not because there's not a lot there, but because it's just engaging. Thank God he's got enough out. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. You could really sit down and just enjoy this for a whole evening easily. I only stopped because it was two o'clock in the morning. And I, like, <laughs> I, I got to go to bed. This is, <laughs> it's too much. But um, story-wise, you know, very solid. Uh, I thought it was going to go in. In one direction. I don't want to spoil anything because at the end of book one, he's on a very, very certain mission. He has one task in mind. And book two and three take him in a completely different direction. Oh, do they? Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that's still it's his, still all ultimately about like, his we'll goal. Find out why he got betrayed, what happened, the exactly. conspirators that were behind it. But you see that it's going to take him a lot longer than he thought to figure which is, out what Which is really a is. nod to that noir sort of spaghetti of a plot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, it really does have that noir feel to it. You know, John sent me the comic and I was like, okay, and I just started reading it and didn't read anything else. Just didn't even read this, like just went straight to the comic. And like three pages in, I thought to myself, man, this is really noir-like. And then I look up and and it's a little catchphrase. Hard-boiled fantasy. Exactly. It's like, oh, obviously. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's, but what I guess what I'm saying is that it's not like, it's just not just saying, hey, it's noir style. It really has the elements of noir so very well distilled into this into this format into this story that even coming in not not expecting it to be noir it it showed itself as that quickly so it's really really well done now fortunately um i can talk about you know, up to book 1 because the the different books actually all sort of encompass themselves they um mm -hmm. book 1 is sort of the beginning of his journey in figuring out who set him up and why and uh where he ends up while he's trying to figure that out sure I'm not going to go into too much detail, but in uh, in book two, he finds that in order to find that information out and heal from any battles he 
he had to go through in, in book one, that he's going to need help. He's going to need some sort of training. And so book two is about that. Oh, interesting. And book three, it, I feel like, is uh, sort of the training begins. So they're really well separated and that you, I, it's easy for me to just be like, this is about this, this is about this, and this is about this. So I kind of curious what book four is going to be about. I mean, the title of book four is The Revenger. So I'm guessing that's where I'm going to learn as much as I can about the sword. It's, it's neat because even though it has that kind of, uh, like you said, almost cliched format of, you know, I got betrayed. Now it's time for, to, for me to visit my badass revenge, Patrick Warburton voice style, you know, <laughs> but you know, he's not, I mean, he's, he's a complete badass. But he's not the biggest badass there is. No. Which is how a lot of those sort of movies and stuff goes is that they come back and this guy is just an unstoppable killing machine. You know, think mm-hmm. Taken or something yeah. where it's like everybody that's around him is like level one. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, I'm mad and just killing everybody and destroying things. And and even though Hunter Black is really badass. And he's an awesome not, name, by the way. Right. Yeah. But he's not so badass that he doesn't actually have to have some character development to be able to get to the other side of his quest to find out what happened and get revenge. I also like the element. Um, I don't watch a lot of anime, but I really like Ninja Scroll. And one oh, of my things about one. it, what a good one—that's classic—is that all there's there's a a cast of villains in that in that movie. Yeah. Yes. And they have the same thing in in Hunter Black. You meet two of them in the first book, and then you very start, briefly. Yes, very briefly, and you get to meet some of the others uh, in in the following books. And so far, it's just I like when there's one guy, and he's against a cast of villains. And each of them has their own kind of special ability, what they do the best, and sure. I'm really excited to see where it goes with the rest of the characters. That's cool. I'm glad that you, you compared it to that because I hadn't thought of that that simile, but but that is one of my favorite anime. It's one of the first anime that I ever saw that made me think, oh, wow, this is something I could get into, this whole Japanese animation thing. It's really amazing. It's such a good movie. Knowing what you like, JP, you're going to love the second book. Yeah? Yeah. Cool. cool. It's very samurai-esque. Well, I know. And, and, you know, towards the end when he's trying to, uh, you know, jump in and, and basically get the drop on somebody that it was involved in the conspiracy, he's all ninja up. He's got his ninja mm-hmm. outfit on. And, you know, that was really yeah. cool. And, you know, if you hover over the uh, the comics, the writer has put in captions. <laughs> That's, you know, it's not in the... Yeah, it's the alt tag. So if yeah. you mouse over it and you wait for a second, a little thing pops up. It's like what somebody would use for... It's like more information for web crawlers and Google and stuff, but it's also the kind of stuff that you would place dialogue and information for like the hearing impaired. Now, is that different from the little stuff that's on the bottom? Yeah, no, it's something that you would mouse over the actual image. And then after like a moment, a little thing would pop up and show Mm -hmm. you. I I didn't get that when I did it. For that that page was, oh, snap, there's going to be a ninja off. <laughs> yeah, actually, some web comics can do. I mean, web comics—it's an interesting media format, I guess, because sometimes you can do some extra cool things like that. But at the same time, you have challenges like page loads and that sort of stuff. But mm-hmm. but there's the way—I mean, be it being on it being on the web, there's a lot of really interesting ways that you can communicate, and that's one of the cooler ways. And we've seen a lot of people use that to great effect for humor or just candor or jokes or inside behind the scene kind of stuff. And you mouse over and, you know, somebody says, Oh man, this one was a pain in the ass to draw or, you know, or, you know, ha 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 ninja time, you know, that kind of stuff. It's really cool. I read this on my tablet Would sticking your finger over. I would imagine holding your finger on it. Maybe. I don't know though. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. maybe not. Maybe if you need like a, a stylus or something, I'm not sure. I actually like that he did comments on most of the pages. Uh, A lot of times when you're going through web comics, I think because they have to put them up on such a regular basis, a lot of um, artists and creators will just kind of post the page up and they're like, I'm done. I'm going to go, you know, play. Yeah. You know, I actually now. have I actually have sort of a different opinion about that. Something that I wrote in my notes here 
I found that the world that he was creating was is so big and robust. There's lots of things going on. There's history. There's a pantheon of of gods. There, or at least there's one god that he mentioned so far. Vanessa's sure. teats, right? <laughs> so there's the the god Vanessa. There's you know there's a Bible. There's history. There's you know all this. It's a big, full, living, breathing world, which is really amazing. Definitely. And I think that the way that the story is told in the comic books. That you're you're kind of missing out a little bit if you don't read the blog posts below the comic, right? right? So below the image in the blog post, like you said, they have something every time, and whether it's just a comment, but a lot of the time, it's actually more information that doesn't just assist with curiosity about more about what was just talked about in the comic, but sometimes it clarifies, and I think that's cool. But at the same time, I feel like there could be a little more exposition. Or conversational references to the stuff that's explained below. It feels kind of odd to read a blog post, have to read a blog post, in addition to the comic to really get the whole picture, instead of just enjoying extra comment in a blog post, like, you know, behind the scenes stuff or artist, artist writer thoughts or things like that, or, or just like digging deeper. I kind of like to think of the blog post part of a webcomic, like the DVD special features. Where you read the comic, that's watching the movie. And you don't need the special features, but you can enjoy more if you're hungry for more information or behind the scenes stuff or whatever. You know, but it's like it's like thumbing through the appendices or watching the special commentary or something like that. And I don't feel like it's quite like that here. It feels almost like if I hadn't read what was beneath it, I'd be like, what? About a couple of the things. Interesting. You know? Interesting. And so there were some scenes where they relied upon the information in the blog post to better describe and explain what's going on in the comic. And I could, I found myself reading the comic, and when I would come across something that was a little vague or a reference they made that wasn't really clear or there was no exposition or explanation about it, I figured I'm sure they'll mention it in the blog post. And I got kind of into the rhythm of that. And I, I, I feel kind of like, again, taking advantage of the opportunities and the tools that you have making a web comic and publishing it on the web is another place you can add more information to your pages. It does feel like... Perhaps there could have, like I said before, been a little more exposition or a little more conversational references to those things so that you could just read the comic. Yeah. You know, because, it's, again, it's it's like I am a sort of person that just doesn't watch the special features unless I'm super, super into something. And even then, I don't tend to watch it the first time. It's like not part of my routine, you know. And so, like, I just like to read the story. I just like to watch the movie, you know. And so it's a little odd, a little disjointed to feel kind of like, OK, I'm going to read this but I'm going to look in the references beneath to make sure I understand everything. And it's not real bad, but there's a, there was a couple times it's kind of like, they could have said that in the comic. Come on, guys. Interesting. You know? Now, I want to say that, like, coming off of the last episode that we did, Samurai Boy, um, mm. he's going up against a, a harsh uh, learning, or not learning curve, but uh, a curved grade. Is that what they call it? Yeah, the bell curve. Is the rough. bell curve. Because Samurai Boy did um in comic captions so well he explained mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. in two different languages yeah. <laughs> um that being said uh i didn't read any of the comments i was impressed that there were comments on every page but i didn't read a single one yeah and, i mean and, and and you probably don't feel lost yeah i was you like, know, but okay. there was probably a couple things in there where you were like i don't know what that is you just keep reading right yeah. to me it just seemed like when he was introducing more stuff was when he introduced like new locales like this is this city and give a little history of the yeah. cities in it. Well, you know, like the the one that really stands out to me was when they were talking about the job, the job where he got double crossed, ended up mm-hmm. in, into the pyramid prison, right? Where he they like show it's just one big panel and it shows the dead this, guy. this yeah. dead guy and it says you know something about well, I don't know why they'd have to kill the most powerful man in you know in the world or whatever, and then that was it. And beneath it, it explained who the guy was. And it's like, couldn't you have said? 
you know, a little arrow or something like this is so and so like in the comic. And they, I guess what I'm saying is that at times they're relying, I feel like a little too much mm. on the blog post. And, and by and large, that doesn't really matter on the web because the information's there and available to you. But most web comics, I think, would like someday to be able to be in print, maybe. Or in, in this one, I think the story would work without the blog posts. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I think it would yeah. too. But I just, I just feel like. Yeah. I to feel me, like to me, I think it was just added information. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and as as it should be. I just, I guess, I just read as I was reading the blog post beneath it a couple of times. Was kind of like, I really wish that would have been in the comic, hmm. you know, at least you know something, you know. See, and I kind of just thought like it's going to explain it eventually. Like, sure, and, and it may very I, well I do that. Yeah, so I mean, that could be you and me and everyone. So. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think I, I think that I guess maybe more of a nitpicky thing because the the thing of it is is that it's such a big, full, rich world. There's no real reason or way. For them to squeeze all the information that they have in each of the blog posts into the comic without it just being a wall of text. And so I get yeah. it. I, I mean, get it. To me, it'd be like whatever the latest Star Wars novel is trying to explain all the other 40 Star Wars novels that have come before in something. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. But at the same time, those other 40 Star Wars novels exist. Yeah. Whereas this is the first thing you, in this universe. You wouldn't necessarily have had to read them. Sure, sure, sure. Jump sure. into one and still mm -hmm. enjoy it. Yeah. And so I, I think that, yeah, I guess that's true. Um, I think that in the end, it's it's a it's a benefit to have such a big, full, rich world, you know, like Lord of the Rings or Star Wars or something like that, that is so huge that a character can have a story in that world over here, and there can be lots more going on elsewhere. You you could definitely tell that they've played a lot of D and D in their <laughs> lifetime. Without, yeah, I mean, even before reading about it, when they're like, "I got this from my D and D campaign sure, sure, sure. that I played in college." And yeah, it, things fit sort of into those D and D sort of framework a little bit. Yeah, which is great. Hmm. And and then the you know the name Hunter Black the first Parker novel was called The Hunter about him going after revenge for the people that had messed him over um. and you know I I really through the first book for sure got that you know I'm going back to get the people that set me up hmm. which was the whole plot of the first book right for, so that's probably why they mentioned yeah. this in the okay yeah I think that in regards to it being a noir film style comic. And being so incredibly successful at communicating that theme and that that tone, I think one of the things that really stood out to me was the internal monologue stuff really worked well, I think. And that's totally a classic part of of that sort of, of a, anything a style. Noir, anything yeah. noir is a lot of internal monologue. Definitely. Which I think is one of the reasons why comics is such a beautiful place to have a noir style. Even in film, it's a style and so you can get away with it. But a lot of the time... Film doesn't like to have lots of internal monologue. Film finds that sort of tiresome and, you know, it slows things down a little bit. It likes to just show, right? But in books and comics, you can get away with that. And it's one of the reasons why certain stories work really well in those formats. And so I think that this being noir works great because you have the space and the flexibility to be able to, you know, without breaking the rhythm of it to be able to have him have his little thoughts and comments and things. And they're interspersed very regularly throughout there. It's not like he walks into a space and it's setting up the scene. Oh, I've been here before and this and that. It's like, as he's having conversation with someone, his thoughts in regards to the conversation he's having at that very moment in and amongst and during the conversation actually pop up. And, you know, before we segue in, I know we're not talking about the art yet, but I did want to just say how impressed I was that with that amount of dialogue, the comic does such a great job of placing the the speech bubbles with the thought 
you know, internal monologue. I guess it looks like it's kind of like on a little parchment paper sort of style. Mm, yeah. just, it does such a good job of differentiating between them and then interspersing them so that you're reading them in the correct order. Yeah, it keeps and it in does, a really good flow. Yeah, and it doesn't confuse. No. There's a lot of text and thought bubbles in this, but the way that it's done with a very different style or the very different look of the speech bubbles to the monologue, uh, the monologue little pages and stuff, it just works really, really well. And it's never confusing, which is a problem. Like thought bubbles... I mean, Marcus knows they can be a son of a bitch to put yeah. in there and have it read the way you want it to. For sure. There's actually uh, there's one panel. I know, I know you guys aren't there yet, but in book three, I'm not sure if the thought bubble was to be uh, off screen dialogue because he he's saying something um, that's not in the panel. Hmm. Uh, he's not in the panel and, and there's dialogue from his character. And he's at that point, he's traveling with somebody else. Okay. And they have off-screen dialogue too. Really? But they don't have the parchment paper. They're on a different, they're like a... Like signifies it in a different sort of wrapper. Exactly. Oh, that's cool. That's really impressive. Yeah. That's really just excellent design elements. Yeah. Great attention to detail. Yeah. I think the final thing that I wanted to say, again, talking about how successful the noir theme is, is that right out of the gate, what was it? The, the Black Ribbon? Yes. Right mm. is is the first person that he chases after, and if anybody's a fan of noir films, they're familiar with the term uh, "chercher la femme," which is follow the woman or look for the woman, and it's mm. it's this concept. Sometimes it's mistaken that phrase. It's mistakenly thought to refer to men's attempt to pursue liaisons with women, but in fact, that's not what this is. What I mean by this is that when there's a problem, look for the woman. Yeah, it's it, it's basically look for the woman, and the idea is that uh, that's how I end up getting married. <laughs> <laughs> The idea that the source of any given problem involving a man is liable to be a woman. And that's or not money. to say that the woman herself is necessarily – that's not to say the woman herself is necessarily causing the problem, like not to yeah. vilify the woman. But you know, he's like, probably getting himself in trouble. He's getting in trouble. Woman. Exactly. You know, like they think like Macbeth, for instance, you know, that's that sort of stuff. That's at least two of my exes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just interesting because because that's that's a heavy, heavy, repetitive – that's a very consistent theme in noir media is that it's all about the woman, whether it's about the guy making poor choices, whether it's about someone else making poor choices that gets everybody wrapped up in, whether it's about the woman being deceitful, whatever. But there's some so the trouble in some capacity is the catalyst is the woman, whether she's doing it or whether people are doing it to impress her or get her or whatever. I mean, it's it's such a noir. Oh, trope. totally. You know, it's yeah. yeah, you know, it's. Every Sin City book, I think, had a woman at the at the center heart, of things. The mm -hmm. center of absolutely, it. absolutely. I just I think that that's a good concept. And I just wanted to make sure to point that out that that was very successfully done with the first person on his hit list being the the Black Ribbon. Like that's perfect. You know that that's just just as perfect. And you know it's cool. I like that a lot. I like the, like the names Black Ribbon Hunter Black. They're it's just great cool names, names. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and the explanation about why she's called Black Ribbon and stuff is really great. Like they so clearly have such a clear picture and vision for this world and these characters beyond what they really need to say to communicate the story. That's just great because it makes a, a strong structure to build the story on. Of all the supporting characters that have been in there, I love the traitor. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that guy was great. So the entire scene with the traitor, I was cracking up because... At first, I read it as Trader Josephus. <laughs> like, he's going to Trader Joe's for information. <laughs> yeah, the trader's amazing. He's but got a great character. Yeah, but yeah. it's Trader Iosephus. I, I, I'm going with Josephus now. Iosephus, oh, I think, is yeah, it was with For I, me, yeah. it's always going to be Josephus. Okay. It will actually now be Joe Vicious. There you go. <laughs> 
And also in his shop, all the little Easter eggs hidden around. There's mm. the Necronomicon in one corner, the Doctor Fate's helmet in another. God, I gotta pay attention. I didn't see any of that. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that scene in a Futurama episode where Bender's body gets stolen. And they have to go to the chop shop to try and find it. And as they're walking through the chop shop, there's like all the famous robots from anything everywhere, like hung yeah. up in the background, covered up by stuff. Amazing. Mm. Spy Kids 3 game over. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go ahead and take a quick musical break. When we get back, we will get into the art of Hunter Black by Justin Peniston. You're listening to Geek Life. Stick with us. Back to Geek Life, we were talking about Hunter Black by Justin Peniston. Peniston. Peniston, sorry. And and Will... Hold on. <laughs> I, I put it in your head and now, you, now it's stuck. There. We're sorry, Justin. See, when we were reading that, Joe, I read that Peniston and Joe's like, that's an unfortunate last name. And I'm like, why? He goes, Peniston. He's probably got that plenty, you know. Yeah. Oh, I got teased for my last name for decades. Your last so. name is? Visha. And so what do people say? Uh, no one can read my last name because it's Italian, so I've been called Vika, Vicia, Vishkia, and mm-hmm. everyone just teases me because... Did you get John Hart on? No, I got Farter a lot. <laughs> John Harder for Farter? Yes. <laughs> in fact, in like first That's grade, someone one. stole one of my textbooks and wrote John Farter in it. We, we have a friend whose last name is Honeycut, and everybody called him Honeybutt. Mm-hmm. Mine wasn't real creative. They called me John Bitch because my last name's Fitch. It's like, that's, that's sort pretty of lame. lame. That's, that's really, really lame. Lazy. lame. Yeah. Pretty but, lame. But kids are awful and not very punny. Although my, my, I have a friend whose last name is Garen Gelly, and it was Garen Belly. I always or, call or, him Gears and Jelly. Gears and Jelly. Yeah. Or being that we're in the San Francisco Bay Area, Ghirardelli. Go, Ghirardelli. There you go. Which, you know, is wonderful chocolate. Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. You need to make a pilgrimage. All right, so... <laughs> Anyway, so we were talking about Hunter Black by Justin Peniston, but first we wanted to share with you guys a recommendation for Audible. The Geek Life podcast is sponsored by Audible. You can go to audibletrial.com forward slash geeklife and get your free audiobook and a free one-month subscription to their excellent service. That whole month, along with that free book credit, you will also receive 30% off of their entire catalog, which is way over 100,000 really excellent books available on all kinds of different devices, MP3, phone, whatever. Just it's a great service. We all use it. And John actually listened to something recently and had a recommendation. Tying into 
the theme of this episode. Yeah, surprisingly well. It is another fantasy noir novel series. It's written by the author's name is Alex Bledsoe, B-L-E-D-S-O-E. The protagonist is named Eddie LaCrosse, and the first novel is called The Sword Edge Blonde. Eddie LaCrosse is essentially a private detective in a fantasy setting. So people Hmm. come to him with, you know, problems and it's, you know, three gold pieces a day plus expenses. Nice. That sounds awesome. (laughs) And uh, to read that now. So that was the, the, the elevator pitch that drew me into this. And I read the four books probably took me like three days on each book. Whoa. So, I mean, they're they're, they're good, fun, see to your pants reads and very good. And then they're available on audible too. So, if you're busy, you can listen to them in the car. Absolutely. Audible, doing. you know, audiobooks really and truly are such an incredibly efficient way to consume information. Well, you know, well. whether it's about history, like Joe and I were just talking about the 10 cent plague. I was reading the uh, uh, the Sean Untold Howe History book. of Marvel, Marvel by Sean Ho. It's like, it's such a great yeah, Sean Ho, I guess, right? Just finished a 30 hour biography on uh, Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's more than just, more than just novels or fantasy stories or whatever like there's all kinds of stuff you can get on audible um although we tend to like the good geeky goodness so but so the book again was john it's called the first book in the series is called the sword edge blonde the sword edge blonde by alex bledsoe b-l-e-d-s-o-e and like we were talking about before the break all his problems stem from a woman <laughs> no don't give the story away oh wait that's every norm <laughs> yeah. okay <laughs> this one just happened to be blonde Right on. So go ahead and check that out and you can get it for free if you go to audibletrial.com forward slash geek life. We will, of course, have a link to that in the show notes. Support Geek Life and check out Audible. It's a really awesome service and you can check out that book for free. And that sounds like a good one. I'm about to put that one on my wish list. Yep. Going online too. I know, right? You guys have recommended me numerous books <laughs> listening to the podcast. So, What's your favorite book we've recommended? The King Killer one, the Patrick the name Rothfuss, of the Pat, Patrick Rothfuss, the King Killer Chronicles. Yeah. yeah, those are freaking awesome. And number three needs to come out now, <laughs> like really bad. <laughs> I'm that way. Like number five of the Eddie Lacrosse series is coming out this month. You're just like, yeah, because <laughs> that when you discover something, you know, and it's you just you consume it, you nom it all, you knock it out, and now it's been like a year and a half yeah. since I read. I'm like that with the 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 book series, the Dresden Files, mm-hmm. which is I want to say 15 books long now. I mean, it's it's been around for a lot. I mean, I'm a huge fan of it, but I'm I'm not like epic geek nerd knowledge on it. Like I couldn't tell you all the names of the books off the top of my head, but I'd recognize them. I have a friend who's like that who introduced me to them. But it's mm-hmm. such a good series, and I consume them every single time that they come out. I mean, I actually have been known to take a day off of work and just read the whole book. I love those books. It's such an incredible series. Of course, if I was smart, I would slowly enjoy it over a couple of weeks. But, you know, but there's no way. <laughs> there's no I couldn't wait that long. I'd be like, I don't want to eat. I want to read. I don't want to work. I want to read. I, I think read. when you get really involved in a book like that, it I mean, that's what you have to do. Dude, right? Yeah. You yeah. Know, it's like, it is what you're thinking about all the time. Everything else gets in the way. You know, it's almost like you're incapable of doing anything else until you finish it. So anyway, so again, we were talking about Hunter Black by Justin Peniston. So Justin's book is really cool. And we wanted to talk a little bit about the art, which is also very cool. Yeah, very mm. cool. And it's interesting because last week we did a story that uh, Samurai won mm-hmm. that also had that kind of vector style art, mm. you know, the super clean, sharp edges and, mm, and uh, you know, perfect circles the, uh... and 
Cartoon Network stuff. Yeah, this one reminded me immediately of Samurai Jack. Yeah. Immediately of Samurai Jack, which is a good thing because that's (laughs) one of my favorite things ever. And as a matter of fact, if you guys are local or just at all, you should go to your local comic shop. If you live anywhere near Sassoon, California, come to Waterfront Comics and John will point you to the Samurai Jack comics. They are awesome. Really, really good. Anyway, so... So yeah, so first off, immediately this made me think, oh, that's like Samurai Jack, which you know, my little my little black heart, you know, grew three sizes when I saw that. Um, so Joe, it yeah. seemed like you jumped right out and were excited about the art. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what yeah. stood out to you with the art? So first of all, to see black and white in a web comic is always kind of rare, unless you're seeing it from a very like penciled and then scanned sort of version, which we've seen a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah, but to see this like vector style where they're consciously using the black and white vector is very rarely just black and white. Yeah, it's so easy to add color to it. Right, but he's really focused on using this black and white to help tell the story G- and, and giving, giving really... that noir sort of tone. Yeah. yeah, and it sets the pace of the story so well. You can almost hear that sort of slow, you know, sexy saxophone or you know trumpet in the background. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I listen to Kenny G when I read anything. <laughs> it doesn't matter. That's not what I was thinking. I was thinking more like a Miles Davisy kind of business, but you know, mm. kind of blue. Yeah, mm. so good. And then it made the little tiny accents of color that I would throw in every once in a while stand out that much more. Yeah, when the whole comic is of a particular palette, and then they do something either by changing the palette or by adding something on top of that that is dramatically different. It's really a powerful tool. To, you know that it's important. You know that it's important immediately. Mm-hmm. Before anybody else jumps on this, because I feel the need, the strong need deep within me to say this, digital blood is the best thing in the whole fucking universe. <laughs> what I was going to say, the first thing right? I was going to say. It's the best so thing in the fantastic. whole fucking universe. I needs to make something like, did you see, did you notice that, John? All the blood is like digital. It's like cubes. Like even when it's on like like running down someone's shirt, it's like little squares. Is it like Minecraft? Dude, it's it's seriously like Minecraft blood. It made me immediately think of uh, Vandal Hearts, where you kill somebody and they explode in these little square pixels of blood, like a blood <laughs> bursting. Ba- anyway, it's a great comp. It's a great game. It was nice that's like a PlayStation One or something. Oh, it's man. probably something you can get on the PSN if you are looking for an amazing tactics type game. But uh, digital blood, holy shit! Yeah. How awesome is that? Like, it's so good. Yeah. I'll even going back to, like, the first Doom. Right? When you're grinding into a guy with the machine gun. I was and... grinning ear to ear when I first when I saw the first scene where they actually did some blood, and, mm-hmm. and it was like, oh, my God, that is the greatest thing ever. Because it's not, there's nothing else in this that's like an 8-bit digitally kind of style, but if you look at the blood in this, it is like little freaking squares. And there's a great scene where you kill somebody, and they're on the ground, and you can see their hand, and the blood pool is growing and it grows as if you were like zoomed in on like i don't know it's just yeah. the, the blood pixels the what i noticed best. on that scene with the hand was it went from an open hand for three panels and then it closed at the end mm-hmm. right so, so i was like is he alive yeah is that yeah. foreshadowing that oh of course but but of course well you know. you know in the character section though he actually says that he's dead i think See, i so with stuff mm. like this i tend to avoid the spoilery type mm-hmm. stuff because I want to get it from the story. It's true. Well, and, and you never know. He could be totally leading you in a circle. Yeah. With that. So, you know, and I, I try and consume it? all the information. No, on the site, and, and I'm, know, I'm, but I'm, I would be fine with that when I get to the end of the sure, story. Sure, sure. Yeah. So nothing is, is spoiled for me, you know? 
But you know, by book four, he could probably kill him again. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that really jumped out at me, artistic-wise, is when we are introduced to new city scenes. Mm. How much detail is put into that? You know, for a a web comic, you know, one panel. The cities, the city, the cities and backgrounds are just amazing. The cityscapes are particularly impressive. The cityscape on the scenes, or I guess the last maybe like five or ten pages. Or he's fighting kind of like above the city out on this wire, you know, and he's like they're doing all these great shots and it's him against this incredible cityscape with a huge fall down to the river at the end and just just really rad. Just the cityscapes are really impressive. You're right, John. Absolutely. I was uh, chuckling when I was reading through the second book because a lot of it's set in a forest. Oh, cool. Probably about 20 pages of it. And in the little blurb underneath the bottom, he says, Will's getting really tired of drawing the forest, so we're going to move out of here soon. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. It does happen. When you have two people working on a comic, it's sort of funny how that goes back and forth because mm-hmm. there can be a bit of a disconnect because, you know, the, 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 the writer has this vision for how things are going to be. And the artist is like, God damn it, no more fucking trees. I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> There's three. There's a letterer on this. How many web comics do you see with letterers? Not real regular, but I'll tell you what, with something like this, it makes a lot of sense because they have to be able to have the differentiation between the inner monologue. They have to be able to have, you know, really like interesting and sort of witty conversation like that is a hallmark of good noir film is witty banter back and forth, cutting people off in the middle of a conversation or a, a thought and back and forth, back and forth. And so like the letterer has got to be on it for this to make sense. It's not a simple kind of, you know. Well, you know, simple kind of conversational structure. It's going to be complex. So I think you're right, though. That's rare to see a letterer on a comic. Uh, I mean, at least a web comic. Yeah. Anyway. And if you're going to update, what does he do? Twice a week? <laughs> twice and, a week, uh, and now it's moved to three times. Yeah, no wonder quick. he's got three people working on it. Uh, I, one of the things that stood out to me immediately was the character design is just so very good. You know, the idea that. If you were to look at a silhouette of each of the characters and they're easy to differentiate, that's obviously clean and good character design. Mm-hmm. And the characters are just so great. You get such a clear picture of the kind of person they are immediately by looking at them. You could take oh. one take one look at the at the information broker and you know he's a little Weasley snake. Mm-hmm. You take one look at the traitor and you know he's sort of really confident and wise and mysterious and I, you know it's just there's just mm-hmm. really 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 good character design you know just immediately get a sense as to who they are and what they're about i was really impressed and that makes a big difference you know when everybody kind of is muddy and looks the same it doesn't work real well and this is just such a dynamic and interesting character design although i was uh i was a little surprised by his design for hunter black himself just because yeah. that nose and chin those are villain nose yeah nose yeah. and chins typically uh, well he is kind of an anti-hero yeah definitely like he's yeah. a He's a I mean, shithead, but he's, he's supposed to be he, rough, he, gruff. Yeah. I mean, if he, you know, I almost expected him to have like stubble. He did shoot the first guy in the knee with an arrow <laughs> to then stab him in the back. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did fan art. That Skyrim night, players that must night. laugh right now. <laughs> did what now? I did fan art that night. Oh, really? Yeah. Of an arrow to the knee? <laughs> no, not of an arrow to, to the <laughs> knee. Did you submit it to it? Oh, yeah, I put it on Facebook for Hunter Black. Yeah, that's pretty good. It looks a little more vampiric. And, it's 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 kind of my version. It's awesome though of uh, of the character design. That's cool though. It's very Clausen. It's very Clausen. Very Clausen. I think uh, again, to going back to the lettering and the and the thought balloons, I like that they're square. I think that's nice. Mm-hmm. I find when you have to squeeze more information into a thought bubble, that it's a more effective use of space to have a square thought bubble than a circular one. Because 
I guess what I'm trying to say is that most of the time, a circular ellipse sort of sort of thought balloon is going to essentially take up the same amount of real estate on the page. And you're going to have to draw around it, you know, as much as you would with the square one. And it's just like the square one fills it out so you can more reasonably have like blocks of text that make sense. And something like this that not that this is over overly wordy, but there's some really good sort of conversations back and forth that require a substantial amount of text to get by. And it's a good choice. It works really well. You know, for being the norm in, in comics to have word bubbles, you know, circular bubbles, it works so much better to have oh, square squares. Bubbles. I don't I understand know. I why I, that's not I'm, the norm. I'm really leaning towards using square in the future when I'm starting new projects where I haven't already set a precedent. Yeah. I really am into that. I like that. The more that we read comics and, you know, what wherever they're from, indie web, whatever, uh, the more I see that, the more I think to myself, like, that is good. That's a good idea. I like that. I like it looks good. It mm -hmm. makes more space. Like, I might use, like, slightly rounded corners, you know, but I like that. It seems to be a very efficient use of space. Were I to make a critical comment on Hunter Black artistically, I would have to say that being that everything is in grayscale, it can get a little muddy to where it's like a little hard to tell what's going on. Yeah. It's never impossible to understand what's going on, mm -hmm. but instead of just looking at it and it being immediately clear, it's almost like you got to squint a little, lean in. I found myself like enlarging the page, like control plus, you know, yeah. to be able to really see what's happening more effectively. It's not like you could, couldn't just read it and know what's going on, but artistically it was almost like with everything being kind of similarly colored, it felt like just a wall of gray instead of distinct images at times. Almost like it took a little more effort to read than other comics and made it at times sort of a chore to really pay attention to the the artistic details. And there were some really great artistic details. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was reading it, I was thinking to myself, like, maybe like a reduction in the number of different values used while pushing the remaining tones to more extremes of light and dark would make the image pop better and be a little more easy to read. But yeah. then it wouldn't have that noir feel. Because, I mean, if you look at old black and white movies, they're a little muddy. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, it's, I but think that it, it's a, a conscious choice and I think it's a sacrifice that you're just going to have to make. You know, maybe as things go on and as we read deeper into the comic, it's going to change and be more effectively used. But I don't really think that there's a lot they can do to change that if they're going to try and stay with that gray scale look, that black and white movie look. Because and I don't really think it changes much, honestly, because I've looked through thumb through some of the more recent pages. I mean, obviously, with a webcomic, the most recent issue comes up when you go to the mm -hmm. website and it looks just like the rest of the pages in that context. Yeah. So that's as much as that's like kind of frustrating as a reader. It's like I get it. I mean, it, and it, I think that in the end, it does more to add to the tone and makes it a better experience than it takes away. But it is a little bit of a hurdle, or at least it was for me reading. It was kind of like, what squint? What's going on there? Mm -hmm. It's all this. I mean, it's like all these slight variations in color and mm -hmm. ah. Now, every time I've seen like a really busy background work, it's always been with a really good contrast. Yeah. Contrast is huge. And there's very little contrast in this comic. Mm -hmm. Very, very little. So I don't know, maybe some starker lighting situations or something like that. But I don't know. I mean, it's yeah. again, it does feel like, like it's lightning alignment. striking in the background. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's it's a hard thing because it does feel like it's in alignment with that noir film style, with that grayscale, black and white movie look. Mm. So I think in the end it works, but it was something that I had to kind of like wrap my mind around first. A comment that I wanted to make that not not necessarily positive or negative, just something that I thought was interesting. Um, and I'm sorry to make so many comparisons in this comic to uh, Samurai Boy, but it's fresh well, in my it's, mind. It's, from and the it's last also one sort of vector art. And also, it's so. vector art. It's very. It has a lot of similarities to this comic. Um, 
uh, with that one in particular, artistically maybe. <laughs> artistically, yeah. Well, and that's that's like, what I, that's, Calvin and Hobbes murdering people. Yeah, and that's <laughs> that's what I wanted to um, to comment on is that that one had they both have the sort of Cartoon Network Samurai Jack Powerpuff Girls art style, mm. but that one was that style with Calvin and Hobbes. This one, I just thought it was interesting that it's that style, the cartoony style, with a very very dark story. Um, yeah, it, and I'm not sure if that hinders or helps yeah. uh, to the story. It's just I definitely noticed it. I was like, "Oh, this is uh, this is really dark." And the in the first couple of pages, he's killing someone and beheading them and taking them back so he can collect money to give to a family of someone that he also murdered. But I mean, it looks it, it like makes, Powerpuff Girls. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it, it makes itself very clear in a hurry that like we're serious. This is an adult story. People are gonna die. Yeah, you know, like in a hurry. And and his. His level of like, uh, you know, should I kill this person? You know, would it be beneficial? Yes. Should I kill them? Well, I don't really want to kill anybody. Like that, that's not an issue. It's like, is it beneficial to kill them? They're dead. Yeah. There's money involved. Sure. Yeah. It's the job. Yeah, it's very sort of morally gray. Sort of like, what would that be? It would be like neutral lawful <laughs> <laughs> or not even lawful. Morally noir. <laughs> True neutral. I know that, uh, you know, we've been comparing this a lot with Samurai Boy. And I think that Samurai Boy, as far as vector art goes, is a bit of a hard hack to follow. Mm-hmm, um, definitely. And I, I feel like that this one was victim a little bit of that sort of flat paper doll look here and there. I'd agree. You know, there were some very successful uses of shadow here and there, you know, to like make the clothes pop. But with everything being such sharp edged lines and everything like that's that's, I think, one of the biggest challenges of that sort of vector art look when you're using, you know, you know, perfect perfected lines simplistic shapes to create that you know you've got the perfect angles and every you know it just it it very quickly looks like it's cut out of paper and it has this mm-hmm. sort of a flat look to it and you know as much as this is really effective art i think that that was probably one of its biggest downfalls the scene that comes to mind specifically is where hunter is following the information broker backwards into the room and they're walking down a hallway and it just doesn't feel like there's any depth even though there's nothing really wrong with the perspective, it's just it just feels flat. You yeah. Know? Two things I think Samurai Boy had going for it was that um, they first of all had the type of story that lent itself to that type of art, mm-hmm. um, and also that color. I mean, like you said before, it's going to yeah. be it's it's, yeah. a, it's a bold choice, but it's, they're going to have to sacrifice some things when it comes to choosing to do black and white. And I mean, it goes with noir, black and white noir. It's, it, it fits. Yeah. It's on purpose. It makes sense, but it is a challenge to yeah, make exactly. it through. Yeah, it mm-hmm. is. It is. It's unfortunate. But I mean, there's a reason they developed color. <laughs> but it's it's. I I still like the art. I still like. Uh, oh, totally. They had very strong, like you said before, they had very strong character design choices. Um, and as soon as I mean, like, like I said, right now, um. The only in the first book, the only two of the people that set him up, you know, are uh, the thief, mm-hmm. and then I, I can't remember the second guy, the, the large yeah. uh, Indian man. Right. Um, excellent designs. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, great character designs. But... They introduce more in the in the later books, and the other ones that they introduced are only in silhouette, and they each look like they all have their very Distinct, very yeah. specific designs yeah. so they, they know what they're going to be like speaking of that final scene I, I found myself a little confused at times what the action was that was going on it felt like the action was a little bit less motiony dynamic feeling mm-hmm. out the you window that's yeah scene. i mean just just some of the action in it. i mean that first scene i think was very effective when he was hunting the guy mm-hmm. but 
some of the later scenes, like when he's, you know, pushing the information broker into the room and he's zipping in on the zip line to try and deal with somebody later on and that sort of stuff, like some of the action parts. You know, I don't know whether I, and I personally, I like action lines. John doesn't like action lines, but we can both agree that motion can, a feeling of motion can be achieved, however it is that you're going to do that. And I felt like that was lacking a little bit. But it wasn't lacking all over the place. There were times where it felt very dynamic. You know, I think the very last page where he's plummeting down and jumping into the water like that has a really a lot of motion to it. It feels good. So I think that it's probably something that we'll tighten up as we go. And again, we're talking about the first book of a comic that has, what, six books already or something? I think it's in the fifth right now. The yeah. The fifth. So I think that that's going to change. But so, I mean, just the imagery in this is so powerful. Again, going back to that scene where he's dealing with the information broker as he's coming in for the kill, the shadow things that they did there, right? He's got the shadow of the blade playing over the guy's face as he's like, no, you don't have to do this. And then when he scares him, he's got that. It's just the silhouette. It's the shadow of them against the wall behind them like they're standing on the other side of a fire. Like it's just... That scene was so rad. (laughs) There are, you know, there's two things I can think about right now. You just made me think about this. And um, possible spoiler alerts for anyone who hasn't read it yet. Um, Jump forward 30 seconds. Thank you. There's two pretty significant, I feel like significant action scenes that were not included so far in the story. And they happen in books two and three. Mm. Two things that I was actually really looking forward to because they introduce a character who is uh, a, a master with swords. Nice. And she is um, approached by several uh, people who are willing, who are trying to you know, kill her. Um, and she goes Tasmanian devil on their asses. You'll love book two. JP. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. I, I was trying to just read book one. I wanted to read more. <laughs> keep, keep going. Yeah. Um, but the the scene where she does what she does is pretty much out of the book. Um, he, uh, Hunter Black, does his own thing, um, which they capture the entire thing. And so, I mean, I know they can do action because they follow Hunter Black, but then they come back to her and it's it's done. Well, I, I think that was a stylistic choice. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I feel like that. That wasn't the best choice they could have made. Um, and then they do it again in book three. How, how far are you? I'm halfway. I'm almost through book two. Okay. Oh, so they just like start the flight and then show the end of the fight. They don't actually show yeah, the fight. Yeah, exactly. But I thought it was that's sti- anticlimactic. Well, I thought it was more like a stylistic thing. Well, it could for be. Yeah. How fast it happened, and sure. you know, I, sometimes you don't need to devote five or six pages to a fight when. Mm-hmm. In this particular case, though, it kind of killed me just because they they. They lead on to how much of a badass this character is. Oh, and you were like, I want to see your fight. I want to see your fight. And they show two seconds of it. And then they go to Hunter Black, which, you know, it's, he's, the, he's the protagonist. I understand. But then in book three, they're leading on to a tournament. And um, let's just say they don't show enough of the tournament, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Well, for the book, too, just I thought it was cool. Like one panel, you see her surrounded by like 10 burly swordsmen. And the next one. The next panel is all of their limbs are cut off. Their swords sticking out of them. That's and she awesome. still has two swords in her hand. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's definitely a way to communicate a level of badassery. That's like, we are not going to put it in a panel cause you couldn't see yeah. it. You know, <laughs> well, mean, that's to, cool. To it, do it, that, it, works it literally really well. would take those two Jeff Darrow issues. Oh my God. Right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm interested to see when you read book two, what you think about, totally. what do you think they should have elaborated more on that yeah. fight or what do you think? It was, hmm. I think, I think that anything that I've come up with at all that could have, could even be coming close to a critique in this book really is, a conscious style choice that they've made, I feel like, yeah. you know? And so I think that at the end of the day, it's an incredibly successful comic artistically, story-wise. It's just a damn solid comic and really entertaining to read. And um, 
you know, just reading the one book we were planning to read for the podcast was a pain in the ass because I wanted to read a whole lot more. So now now I will open up the floodgates and read more. So very I'm, exciting. I'm glad that Wikipedia led us there. I know. Yeah. Right? You got to love how that's just the most obscure things will bring you to something. So, you know, I had actually come across Hunter Black at one point. Really? Uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, Like on the street? Like, Yeah. Just he was he there. Just, he just stared me Revenger. down. I kind of coward. He, yeah, this was at, this was on shirts. Black Friday. <laughs> Hunter Black Friday. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> Took me a second, but, <laughs> but good. good. <laughs> Which is funny because I just listened to our Thanksgiving episode <laughs> of Four J's, where we make many Black Friday references. Oh, good lord. Man. So you said you went. Yeah, I was reading another web comic and. A lot of them will have like a list of you like this, try these other comics. And Hunter Black has that on there too. Yeah. 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 So I'll probably it's be a able part to of a figure, comics community. That's cool. Yeah, I'll probably be able to figure out which one I was reading, judging on which one's on Hunter Black's. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening to Geek Life. I think that's about it for today. We always love to hear from our listeners. Please email us at geeklife at pandamanga.com with your questions, comments, and insights. Send us ideas for episodes, comics, comments, questions. Anything that you'd like. We're always excited to hear from our beloved listeners. If you'd like to become a PM contributor, please visit our contact page at contact.pandamanga.com and fill out the form located there. Music has been provided by AirPlus Recordings. Links to the songs and artists are available in the show notes at podcast.pandamanga.com. For more information on AirPlus Recordings, please visit their website at airplusrecordings.com. Good night, everyone. No, don't erase the vagina monster.